And please turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8, we'll go to verse 13. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8, we'll be going to verse 13. Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire, uh, set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. <clears throat> we have all of us lived through a time of plague. We all remember the beginning of the COVID epidemic. How it changed our lives overnight, and how the fear was was stirred up among us as the infection numbers spread from hundreds to thousands to millions. Governments around the world reacted variously to these things, as they thought, if we're being quite generous, that this plague was a very serious, life-threatening disease. Places like Sweden allowed a great amount of freedom, and places like New Zealand and China locked down the country for months or years. But why do they do these things? What was behind these things? Well, besides the sinful desire for totalitarian control, these measures originally, at least originated originally, first with their belief concerning the seriousness of the disease, and second, their hate of those serious consequences. So that the seriousness of the disease calls for just as serious measures against it. Something this serious in their mind ought to be utterly eradicated. And we ought to be so far removed from this plague that we keep distance from those who have it or distance from those who even might have it. So why open this old wound once again? Because a plague is still over us, brothers and sisters. I don't mean COVID, which most likely will be with us until the judgment day, but a greater plague, sin itself, which causes these things. Sin, which brings the consequence of death. COVID is not a symptom of governmental overreach or global interconnectedness. It is a symptom of sin in this polluted world. And for that reason, we might actually understand and more, uh, more and more, the totalitarian government desire, that is, to have a new world order where viruses, pain, pollution, poverty, and other consequences of sin might be dealt with in a focused 
manner, at least humanly speaking. Such a serious disease, at least in their, their ideas, these things like poverty and pain, even the human condition itself, unfortunately, caused for equally serious measures against it. But as long as governments and individuals cozy up to, ingest, and support the basis of all misery, COVID included, sin, any effort against these symptoms of sin will not matter in the slightest. That is, sin will continue until it is completely and utterly eradicated. Misery will continue until it is completely and utterly eradicated. So what is the problem with their plan? They disregard God and his plan. As we see in this text, God's plan has, or God has a plan, rather, for sin. And I might say, this is a a true way of thinking about it, the seriousness of the disease calls for just as serious measures against it. That great plague of sin must be dealt with, and it must be dealt with with great and disastrous consequences in order to take it away. Things that governments will not and cannot do. There is no vaccine for sin. We are born with it. I'm sure many of you know the disease. Uh, Unfortunately, we all know this disease very well. But, beloved, we ought to look at sin square in the face and see not only its temporal consequences, but hell itself burning in its eternal consequences. The wages of sin is death. Yes, God has not forgotten the vile pollution that is sin in this age. And he has not forgotten his plan for a new and better world where there is no sin. Peter shows God's expansive plan here in 2 Peter 3, although we will focus on verses 8 through following today. And this is the reason for God's judgment fire, as we see here in 2 Peter, sin, as we were just speaking about. This text is first and foremost about God's burning hatred of sin in his judgment. He compares it with the waters of the flood, Peter does, which overwhelmed the whole of the entire world earlier. He earlier used the flood as proof that God will come and destroy the world if he says he will, because he's done it once and he'll do it again. The difference between these two different events, these two world-scale extinction events, is that the ark in this second event is far larger. Christ himself ark is far bigger, and the way of destruction is now fire, as we see here, and fire that is a destruction for final destruction. Of this judgment, Peter says here, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, and continuing to verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies melt as they burn. Let's linger on this for a moment. Even the heavens will be set on fire, brothers and sisters. The moon and the planets and the entire solar system and the universe itself will be set on fire by the Lord's work. Unlike the atheists who believe that all will be destroyed at the end by heat death, Quite the opposite, the Lord will be so active in these things, fire will be everywhere. There will be heat that will destroy everything, and it will be his 
work. He will melt everything so that all will be destroyed. We don't understand the reasoning behind this judgment unless we understand the heinousness of sin. Although patient toward us sinners, as we have seen in this text, in these last days, to bring a multitude of people into his covenant by repentance and faith, although patient, God's will is not to let the plague of sin continue forever, as many humans desire it to do. No, like a good physician, God does not stop at suppressing the symptoms of the disease, our misery. No, God destroys the very root of the malady, just as he preached in the Old Testament. Anything even touched by sin must be destroyed in his presence. No mere man can eradicate sin. God must do this. And here's the goal of God's justice here shown in fire. A resurrected world and a resurrected people. Righteousness through death, as we see. Not only is death the way of righteousness for Christians, it's the way of righteousness, that is, being right with God, that he might dwell in it for the earth as well. Isn't it interesting that Paul, as we prove this more more, uh, finely in Romans 8, when he says, and this is the beginning, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us, does not then come to speak of individuals who are going to this new world, but goes on to talk of creation itself. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. He goes to creation that is released from the futility of the corruption of this world. God will not allow one inch of his creation to remain in this futility and this hateful state of groaning under sin and futility. Not even us, yes, but not even the whole world. Creation waits with eager longing to be remade, to have the burden of its sin taken from it. Although the Christians ought always to live in the knowledge of this judgment is far more than this. When the tongues of flame descended upon the church at Pentecost, the church was purified with the fire which will stretch from God's mouth to the entire cosmos on that day of judgment. Judgment fire, because of Christ's work, has descended already on the church, and then it will descend on the world. So as Peter says here in 2 Peter 3, verse 13, All these things being thus destroyed, what sort of people should you be in lives of holiness and godliness? Now that we have a new nature, as we've been seeing, purified by the works of Jesus Christ, we live lives according to that nature. God's work is the root which brings forth fruit in us, and it always has been. For example, Isaiah, when he was to do his work for the people of God, was given a coal from the altar And it was placed upon his lips. He was purified by the judgment of God for his work, the flames of the end days. So the church has, before the time of judgment, been, as John the Baptist prophesied, baptized with spirit and with fire, the Holy Spirit and with fire, for good works after the judgment of Christ took away our sins. 
and imputed to us all righteousness in his, re- re- in his resurrection. So Paul and Peter see the fire which is to come as a cleansing fire, a cleansing fire for Christians, for those who have repentance. And we Christians have already been baptized into that fire, that future judgment. We are the people of the flame, and although we are not worthy of anything but being burned up in that fire, what does God promise for us that we might get through that fire? Isaiah 43 answers, But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Christian, you are not consumed because Christ is with you. Christ already took the judgment fires of God, the melting, burning anger of God against sin on the cross. Jesus was the first fruits of that judgment day, the judgment day of God. And we, united to him, are the first fruits of a new creation, resurrected to newness of life from the spiritually dead. Paul, in words reminiscent of what Peter says here, says in Acts 17, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, and these are last days, he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has a day fixed on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That judge will come, that judge meaning Jesus Christ, and we have been given assurance that judgment will come because of his being raised from the dead. Assurance of judgment and of salvation in the judgment of Christ and in his resurrection. Already fulfilled judgment. He is our righteousness and our sanctification, First Corinthians says. And do you begin to see why this matters? The cosmic, universal plan and scale of God's redemption in Christ. It is upon this subject that we hear God glorified in Ephesians 1 making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Unite all things in him. Let us not over-individualize salvation and God's plan, brothers and sisters. Although he does know us and the hairs on our head, he knows the world as well and every blade of grass. His plan is to eradicate sin wherever it lies. Nothing else will do for God but complete, entire, and utter decimation of his enemies, sin and death. For a kingdom of righteousness, that is the only goal. But do we have this outlook, brothers and sisters? Do we desire the destruction of sin as God does? Do we hunger and thirst after righteousness? Are we poor in spirit, humble and contrite, mourning our sin and looking to him alone who can give us and the cosmos salvation from sin? Do we even desire salvation from sin or do we shrink from the judgment because it's a purifying fire? We have a cosmic kingdom of righteousness, a purifying fire coming on that judgment day that we might be in his presence Do we desire that presence? But is that kingdom of righteousness only future? 
Peter does say this. He says that it's future in some way, that it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. Uh, or rather, sorry, in 2 Peter 1.4, he says uh, that we are partakers of the divine nature. Uh, goodness, I'm saying things that are wrong. He says here in 2 Peter chapter 3 that the future judgment will come as a thief in the night. It is future in that, yes, we do not know the time, the day, or the hour. But Peter does say that it also has a different timing. It is in 1 Peter 4.17, as I say it correctly here, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. That is, we are being purified even now by these judgment fires. For that day, through the God's judgment presence, God is a consuming fire and he consumes any unrighteousness. And even as we stand in his presence here today, right now, he consumes our dross because we are part of God's new creation even now. His creation is not merely future because we, even on this corrupt earth, are part of that new creation, that new heavens and new earth. Why can we say that? Because Peter has already told this, us this in 2 Peter 1.4, as I say this correctly. Again, we are partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We have escaped this corruption in this world and are a part of, by the righteousness of Christ through faith and repentance, a new world. A new world where righteousness dwells. Christians live in the light of that destruction of all things. Christians alone look to the end of all things with a straight face. They alone live in the presence of God, whose very nature cannot allow for sin near him. It must all be destroyed with that purifying fire. But again, I must remind you, brothers and sisters, we do not have sin in us anymore. We are completely righteous by Jesus Christ, credited that righteousness. Sin certainly clings so closely to us, but it is not us. That is not us any longer. So that those things are taken away from us because we have a new nature in Jesus Christ. That purifying fire is for Christians because it is against sin. And it is for us because Christ Jesus is for us. So that we have confidence with our Lord as we found last week. We have confidence for who, what shall separate us from the love of God. But we are no longer of this world, brothers and sisters. We have this new birth. And it's not as if we have that as a means, or rather this is an illustration of, of what this is not like. It's not as if we have it as a ticket to ride into a future train which will take us to the undying lands. Scripture has a much more immediate idea than this, merely future ticket to a destination we must wait for. Certainly, we must wait for the fullness, but Ephesians 2.6 says we are presently with Christ. In the heavenly realms, we sit with Christ. We, as new creation, are part of what the original creation was supposed to be, but could not become we Christians are on that road toward glory, which were it not for our first parents, Adam and Eve, our ancient forefathers, would have trod were it not for their sin. Every step here on earth is an additional step towards glory, as it ought to have been. However, you must destroy the world and remake it in order to, get, to bring us to that, that realm, 
nor is this place that we are going to merely a supernatural world. It is supernatural in that we do not know what we will be like, and that we will all be changed, and it will be beyond our current comprehension in glory, but in its essence, it's not supernatural. That is, everything that the garden was meant to be, our glorious country, with the Lord, it will be that. Only far, far better than we can understand. This country that we are going to will not be the garden. It will be far better, but it is what the garden was pointing to all along. A righteous dwelling with the Lord. A physical, real, natural, visible kingdom where the king of righteousness dwells. And so where righteousness dwells and life. We do not have to bring in this kingdom, brothers and sisters. It's not by our works that we bring this kingdom in. It depends on Christ. If it depended upon us, we would screw it up, I am only sure. I'm not saying that we do not have influence, as we will find out later, upon the coming of the kingdom, but it still does not depend upon us. We are called to be ready, for like a thief in the night, the day of the Lord will come upon us, when we seem to be lagging, when we do not expect it, when we feel like we cannot watch any longer, we do wait. But it does not depend upon us in any way. Christ is already finished. He is coming, and he will come soon. But we are to die to this world and to everything in it, that we might be resurrected to another. We die to self and to our opinions. We die in the death of Christ, in the death that was shown on that day of the judgment of of the Lord against sin. We die in that death which was placed upon him instead of us. We are resurrected to new life and to a new world. He died in the fires of judgment that we might live. So let us live in Christ, brothers and sisters. Let us go to him in prayer. Lord, indeed, what lives of holiness... We ought to live knowing this judgment is coming. Lord, we pray that we would live in the light of your judgment, that we would live in the light of the work that you are even doing now, that the judgment has begun with the household of God. We pray that you would continue to take away our dross, take away the sin which clings so closely, every weight and sin in this endurance race that you have given us. And we we pray that we might indeed look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, Lord, that we might come to glory, that we might hate the shame, that we might hate our sin just as you hate sin, as you show us in this judgment day a fire that will utterly eradicate it. We thank you, Lord, that we do have salvation in death, but not in our death and the death of Jesus Christ, which even paid for the sins of the entire cosmos, that it might be remade. We ask, Lord, that you would come soon, that we might see you face to face. Lord, that we would see you even in that judgment face. For, Lord, we have confidence in the blood of Christ. Come soon, we pray. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.